Welcome to the Lentil Intervention Podcast, talking all things movement, whole food nutrition and environmental wellness with your hosts, Ben and Emma. Hello and welcome everybody to episode 16. Uh, my name is Ben Adelberg, coming to you from Auckland, New Zealand, joined as always by Emma Strutt in Boona, Queensland. Hello, Emma. Hello, hello, Ben. How are you going? Good, thank you. Now, um, you know, we're really excited to get our flow back and uh, have some guests lined up again. Uh, but before we get cracking on, I've just got a little bit of admin we want to keep through. Uh, firstly, the last episode, we spoke about a tour that I was doing of New Zealand with a whole bunch of sports nutrition uh, or plant-based sports nutrition workshops. Unfortunately, with the recent outbreak of COVID and lockdown in Auckland, um, I've decided to postpone, not cancel, but postpone indefinitely. So uh, if you do uh, follow me on social media, just keep a lookout for those on the Fitness Locker page um, with the new dates that will be coming up. But yeah, have postponed those for now. However... In the realm of nutrition, whole food, plant-based, um, Emma, you have been invited to take part in a webinar uh, as a panelist. Do you want to yes. tell us a little bit more yeah. about that? Yeah. So as many of you know, I'm involved with Doctors for Nutrition um, and they will be hosting a webinar series called Food Vitals. Um, now, this series will take a deep dive into the evidence-based nutrition and it's going to share some key clinical and practical steps to implementing this kind of diet. Um, so I will be involved in the first webinar of the series. This one is focusing on evidence-based nutrition in healthcare. So the target audience here will mainly be health professionals and students, but it's open to absolutely anyone who's interested. Um, this one's going to be held on the 24th of September. So mark that in your diaries head on over to doctorsfornutrition.org if you want to register. Um, but there are currently three more webinars planned for the rest of the year, um, and that's going to include focusing on IBD and the gut microbiome, which will be excellent. We've got some really fantastic speakers lined up for that one. Following that, there's going to be one on cardiovascular disease and then another on nutrition for pregnancy and early years. So it's shaping up to be a really good series. And I'm sure it will be of interest to a lot of our listeners. Very, very exciting. And from the comfort of your own home, so we don't have to let COVID ruin that party. Um, but what <laughs> I did remember reading is that um, it is limited in the sense that the platform that they use to host the webinar can only um, handle a certain amount of uh, dial-ins, I suppose. Don't know what the number is, but make sure if you are interested to sign up now so you don't miss out. Um, just a couple of other little things. First, uh, the next one is the um, our first, I guess, lentil intervention uh, initiative is a sports gear collection that um, I'm overseeing here in New Zealand. Um, again, that's been postponed a little bit, just by a few weeks, the actual delivery to the schools. But if you have any gear that you want to uh, contribute, uh, you do need to be in the Auckland Waikato region. Uh, get in touch and uh, hopefully we can um, touch base and graciously accept lastly um we mentioned this before and if you haven't yet where have you been we have a new website the lentil intervention.org so if you haven't been on there yet please do go check it out it's got a whole bunch of content that's going to be uploaded sign up to our newsletter and um, the direct links to the podcast is on there as well with all the show notes that is that emma we have a fantastic guest waiting for us um let's go for it 
Yeah, all right. So we're extremely grateful to have Dr. Sam Gartland joining us today. Dr. Gartland is a UK-trained GP, now based in Ballina on New South Wales. And in 2008, he was diagnosed with relapsing-remitting multiple sclerosis. Now, at the time, his symptoms were so severe that he actually had to resign from his job as an intensive care doctor. But since then, Sam has achieved a full recovery through specific diet and lifestyle changes, which we'll be delving into today, so I won't give anything away in the intro. Um, but he now advocates for these lifestyle medicine approaches with his patients in general practice. So he is a breath of fresh air. Um, I'm really looking forward to diving into this one. Dr. Sam Gartland, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be on here and it's just wonderful that this message is getting out there. So thank you for, for doing this. Uh, Sam, so welcome. And um, firstly, let's talk a little bit about your background. You're a doctor. Um, <clears throat> tell us a little bit about your, your journey into why you decided uh, the, the medical field was, you know, your your choice mm. for growing up. Yeah. So, so I, I grew up in London and um, uh, uh, had a um, pretty usual uh, urban childhood in London and um, uh, and uh, nutrition was really um, just handed over. The knowledge of nutrition was really what we're all sort of indoctrinated with, you know, that milk's good for your bones that uh, you need to have meat and veg in your, your food and no real sort of um challenge to that that paradigm of nutrition um and um though it's sort of sort of reflecting back i remember uh, even as i was younger that different foods would affect how i'd feel but i didn't really sort of have any framework to uh, or i didn't manage to create a framework to sort of manage that until later on um uh, and the interest in medicine was I was just very interested in nature. I was very interested in the human body and um, it was a sort of natural progression. I, I guess I was interested in science and uh, um, and that led me to applying for medical school. Um, and it was really interesting. Um, but as I'm sure we'll go into, and I know many people will be aware that when we go and study medicine and we study uh, or, or how we're taught nutrition there, it's just a, a very um, simplistic uh, teaching around um, molecules and how they're broken down uh, without any real uh, development of the understanding of, of how the things that we the, the things that we put into our body on a day-to-day -day basis uh, actively affect it um, or equally how if we do end up with a illness or a disease how how the things that we put into our body affect it and, and, and can change the outcome of what's going on. Yeah. So, you know, so you studied in, in the UK. What, uh, mm. what brought you out to Australia? Yeah, well, there are a few things that happened. Um, <clears throat> I always had a sense when I was younger that I felt better in, in, with more sunlight. <laughs> I, I felt, felt it in April. I can relate, um, yep. <laughs> And, you know, and so sort of now with the benefit of hindsight, I can see that was just being in tune with my body. But, you know, I didn't have the uh, capacity to think of, you know, there's, there's a very direct effect here that the sun, you, you need the sun shining on your body. You need it on your skin for your body to function normally. Um, uh, and um, so, so the few things were I came out to Australia as a medical student as part of an elective. I came to Sydney to do emergency um, and 
a few things struck me. Uh, the first was just the joy of being outdoors and by nature here. I, I, you know, I guess it's not so enticing to go out when it's howling winds and grey weather like it would be in England. Um, so I was struck by that. On a professional basis, um, I was very impressed by uh, the Australian emergency doctors. I thought they were exceptionally well trained and they were very pragmatic in how they approach things. So to me, it's no surprise that the answer uh, to the issue with MS um, was dealt with so well by a professor of emergency medicine from Australia. Mm -hmm. um, they, to me, they always took a very pragmatic approach to do what works. They were sensible in how they approached things. They just broke it down into what, what they understood were the, were the problems and moved forward from there. Um, and so i had been on the elective and, and came back to the UK and um, and finished my medical degree and did some early intern jobs and, and then knew I was sort of attracted back to Australia, um, back to emergency uh, back in Sydney. But um, I was doing a lot of shift work and which is just part of the course with with your training and um but i was struggling and i was very interested in what i was doing i couldn't you know I, that was the specialty I, I thought i wanted to go into but i just struggled i was getting tired i felt hugely fatigued um but of course if i'd gone and spoken well i spoke informally to doctors who i knew um you know, i was in my 20s i should have had a lot of energy um uh, but I felt absolutely fatigued. But even if I'd consulted with a doctor formally, they wouldn't have been able to understand or explain to me what was going on. Um, uh, maybe I should have looked elsewhere uh, for advice, but you sort of expect that um, the best advice is, is from people who get the formal sort of letters after their names. Um, so in the sort of sense of, sort of self-preservation I guess at the time I was like well I don't think I can handle doing these shift patterns anymore and um, well, I thought well I'm going to have to um, to change how I'm living and I um, just get out of the shift patterns I, I came back to the UK to, to work in general practice where I thought I'd, I'd have a sort of more stable uh, work pattern um, uh, but I wasn't enjoying the work so much and again um and i've seen it with many doctors that because we're faced every day with the consequences of western lifestyle diseases um if you're not going to manage these conditions um by dealing with the aspects that have led to the disease state so the poor nutrition um, the stress the other factors that go into it um you're just not really going to get very far <laughs> it can be mm. quite a demoralizing uh process to just throw more and more medications at a problem without actually making someone feel any better um it's not a, a, a enjoyable experience for the treating doctor and um it's certainly not an enjoyable experience for the person who's coming for, for the advice as far as i can see um and um, <clears throat> so I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't fancy this anymore. And I, I went back uh, uh, back into hospital medicine to work uh, in intensive care and anaesthetics. And again, back into the shift work, working in the north of England. So not eating a particularly unhealthy diet. You know, I'd, I'd cook at home, but, um, you know, naively 
putting in animal products, um, uh, dairy, uh, which has got a, a very strong link with MS, and we can talk about that link um, a, a bit later. Um, uh, the issue with um, meat, you know, all the sort of staples of a, a British, a typical British diet, um, that combined with a lack of vitamin D, working shift work, and um, an unease that my life was uh, not. You know, I wasn't where I wanted to be and doing things I wanted to be. Uh, you know, my, my innate sense had been to be in a warmer climate in uh, with a closer connection to nature. And, you know, as well as nutrition, the idea of having mental balance is, is just so important. Um, so I don't think it's any surprise that I got sick. It was my dis-ease. Um, mm. And um, it's, it was an odd thing because uh, so I had this... Uh, event called a transverse myelitis which is basically where you get inflammation uh, through the spinal cord and so um i tried to ignore it but it got to the point where I, I couldn't actually walk from the car park at the hospital through to the intensive care unit i was working in. so it's quite clear i wasn't capable of doing my job um and um uh, i had an mri and uh so so that showed this big lesion through the cord and a couple of sort of non-specific things in the brain and and so then it was like, well, we, we're not going to tell you you've got MS because that would be a devastating thing. It will have big implications for, you know, your employment. So we'll put this down as a single episode. Um, but, um, uh, uh, you know, things don't look particularly good. <laughs> and, um, and so um, I sort of, and, th and this is where maybe I feel a bit embarrassed. Was I, I, th there was just a brief comment um, because I, I asked, you know, the uh, the neurologist who was a colleague, um, you know, what is there anything I can do to help myself? And you know, well, you know, uh, some people think diet might help them, but there's no good evidence for that. Well, that's not a resounding recommendation for you to go off and change your lifestyle and. Uh, and um, maybe I should have picked up on it a bit more. Um, and I, I sort of read some of the information on it, but there's a, a discrepancy between what I read. So what I read was um, the Swank study, and we can talk about that. Um, but this was a big study done in the States over 30 years where people who changed their lifestyle had no progression and mm -hmm. stabilized the disease. So I read this, but then my whole teaching, none of this stuff had ever come up. And, um, you know, I was, I'd worked in, you know, just hospitals in London, Manchester and Sydney and with, with people who were considered, you know, sort of world experts in their field. And surely, surely if, if this thing was going to work, this would have been front and centre of the treatment that was being offered. But it, But it wasn't even mentioned. The only... The only option uh, at the time was some medications which were of very limited benefit and with very significant side effects generally. Um, so so it, it leaves you in a position where you're not really engaged in looking after yourself. And so as we now know, um, but to be fair, the, the genetic studies were there. So the, the genetics will give you 20 to 25% of the risk of developing MS. But they say nothing really about how the disease progresses. That's basically due to external factors like vitamin D, diet, um, stress, uh, smoking, if you smoke. Um, uh, so so the predisposition that, is there, but it's, it's obviously activated by 
like you say, lifestyle yeah. choices. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so there's very clear studies for like over 10,000 people with MS worldwide that the genes do not dictate how this disease progresses. It's due, all due to external factors. Now, there's some external factors which you can't control, like your exposure to certain viruses, but all the other things like vitamin D, shift work, diet, um, exercise. Your sleep stress, patterns all- as well, that would have been a factor? Shift, Being on shift, shift work? Yeah. yeah. So I don't think it's any surprise that I know so many doctors who've developed MS and we're, we've all worked in the acute specialties, you know, mm. and emergency it's just staring us in the face so um, now just for our listeners just just to yeah. just to put a pause on that you know for, for most that are still wondering well, what is multiple sclerosis and is that something that is a progressive um you know it progressively mm. gets to the point that you become diagnosed with it or is it a particular or can it be a short-term sort of phase like you say you know what you live for three four five years as an intern the shifts, the, the the quality of life, and and so on. You know, can it can it happen at any stage of your life, or does it start from yeah. the beginning and it, it just progressively graduates to something that is then diagnosed as such? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a good question. So I probably should have started off with an introduction. But so so, so, M- so look, uh, MS is commonest disabling illness of uh, young adults and um, it's considered to be an autoimmune degenerative and progressive condition that affects the brain and the spinal cord um, so you know the, the, the main hardware that's uh, driving the nervous system that sends out the actions to control the movements of your body and also how you perceive the world um, so um, so what normally happens is that somebody will have an initial episode um, what we call a demyelinating episode where there's some inflammation somewhere in the brain and spinal cord and that can present with numbness, uh, weakness uh, in that part of the body. In my case, I, I, I went numb from the waist down and couldn't walk for a period of time. Another common thing is to, I, like I lost my eyesight in my right eye. Uh, but you have one episode um, and that's called a clinically isolated syndrome. Um, but then if you have to have another lesion to be formally diagnosed with with multiple sclerosis um, because you've now had another episode separate to the original one. But um, it's very likely that basically there's been some degeneration in the brain uh, in a long time leading up to this. So most people, by the time they present with their initial episode of MS, have clear, clear evidence of um, you know impaired cognition. You know, the brain's not working as well if you, if, if you test it. Um, and then over a period of, um, you know, sort of 30 years, uh, people with MS, compared to sort of normal uh, controls you know other people uh, lose something like 40 percent of their their nerve cells mm-hmm. and so it can, can be quite that, devastating kind of i mean 75 yeah. percent of people diagnosed aren't working within 10 years of yeah. their diagnosis so yeah so yeah yeah and, and the majority yeah so uh, yeah yeah so uh, you know, uh, often like up to 50 percent of people uh, are out of work after the first episode um, and yeah the majority are, are not working within 10 years and most people go on to a progressive state where they become progressively more disabled um, and end up requiring uh, high level uh, nursing care so an absolutely devastating disease if it's uh, uh, left if, if you don't treat it with uh, all the tools that you, you, you can do which is correcting all the risk factors, all the modifiable risk factors like diet, vitamin D, you know, how you react to stress, things like that. And we can go into that into a bit more detail. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So you mentioned the work by um, 
Roy Swank back in um, 1950, I think it was. So, you know, this data's been around for quite a long time, which yeah. probably adds to the frustration of um, you not being made aware of it in your training. Mm. Um, so h- how did you stumble across that initially? Well, yeah, I was, I was lucky that um, <laughs> yeah, another doctor who I knew had got diagnosed with MS said, oh, you got to have a look at this <laughs> this bit of work. It might be of interest to you. Um but um, so so that got highlighted to me, and then at the time, uh, so we'll have to talk about um, George Jelinek. Uh, yes, absolutely. The, yeah. So so the Swank study. So I'll just to say a little bit about Swank. So so what we've alluded to is uh, there was a very famous neurologist from the states called uh, Roy Swank, and this uh, uh, this man was an eminent uh, neurologist. He taught at Harvard and McGill. Uh, he was professor of neurology at Oregon. And back in 1948, he'd um, done some basic epidemiological work and some animal studies that basically linked high animal fat intake with the development and progression of MS and the areas that had increased um, unsaturated fat intake, so from oily fish and things, were, were protected. And his hypothesis was that diet affected the development and progression of MS, and then he set up a... A, a, a massive study and um, uh, 144 people with MS and followed them for over 30 years and for people who made substantial lifestyle change so it wasn't fully a, a plant-based diet he still allowed some skinless chicken breast but compared to their standard um, American diet this was a huge change and basically showed that regardless of how disabled they were at the beginning of the study, if they were able to keep to the lifestyle changes, their MS stabilized and they had no progression in disability and the vast majority of those people who made the lifestyle changes survived over the course of a 35-year study. Okay, and, and the people who weren't able to make the changes were either dead, like you know, 78%, I think it was, and, or, or severely disabled, basically bed-bound. Mm. And this research... Um, so, so, you know, so this research got published in The Lancet in 1990 and um, nothing really was done with it until um, uh, George Jelinek, uh, who is uh, an emergency professor from Australia, came across the work when he was diagnosed with MS. So it doesn't reflect very well on the medical profession that for this untreated condition, there was a huge study showing you could stop its progression and nobody did anything with it. I mean, it's um, it's a it's a tragedy, really. Um, and is that the same yeah. study that made the link uh, between dairy and MS as well? Considering um, the actually, high think, saturated fat content. Yeah, no. So, so that was largely with the saturated fat content. Though I think as on Swank's program, he did still allow some skim milk. But there was some more data that came out which persuaded George Jelinek to who set up the Overcoming MS program, which is the uh, seven-step recovery program. There was more data that came out that um, just clarified the issue of dairy. So there's long been an epidemiological link with countries that consume large amounts of dairy, they get large amounts of MS. But then um, there's a lot more uh, other science that's come up to back all of this up. So um, one study showed that um, if you wanted to create an animal model of MS, what you do is inject rats with uh, cow's milk proteins and they develop an MS-like illness. That was one thing. Um, and then another study in Germany showed that if you got the immune cells from people with MS and you presented them with cow's milk proteins, they'd throw off all the chemicals that you get when you're having a relapse. Um, the, yeah. <laughs> 
So when you have that congruence of evidence from multiple sources, um, that's, that's highly persuasive in medicine. The, the other, uh, um, yeah, so the, the other issue of that is, so these cow's milk proteins, so the way the immune system works is that the, your, your immune cells recognize uh, proteins as foreign and go, go and attack them. And it appears that some of these cow's milk proteins resemble the coating around the nerve cells, the myelin sheath. And so the immune cells will be stimulated by cow's milk proteins to go and attack the myelin sheath. So you've got a very clear mechanism backing up all the epidemiological data. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think we've we've covered with a number of other guests as well as that in in the in the medical sector. You know, you focus more time studying, um, I guess, how to safely administer antibiotics and other drugs as opposed to focusing yeah. on on sort of lifestyle. Uh, you know, approach to, to medicine, including nutrition, which is, you know, something that's being echoed over and over again and by yourself as well, which, and, and you've mm. been part of that journey. So I guess when you say it was surprising that you were getting this conflicting message, well, you went through that system, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's, it's, it kind of makes you realize, well, you know, have you been best equipped with, with the right tools? No, no, not. Um, and I think, to be fair to people, I think they're, they're trying to change it. So I remember, um, so I went to Manchester and um, uh, I was in the second year. They developed a problem-based learning course. <clears throat> and the idea of that was that you were meant to come to problems fresh and work out the answers for yourself, which in a way is what George Dillonek did when, well, it's exactly what he did when, when he, he got the diagnosis of MS. But I remember the, the first sort of introductory lecture was the reason we've introduced this course is because if common sense was common, we wouldn't have a problem and we've got a big problem. Yeah. But I think there is a recognition that, that this problem's there. The problem is, is that I think by the time you get to the end of your training and you start going through your professional exams, it just falls back onto this robotic, well, it might be different in different places, but I mean, I've done postgraduate exams in surgery, general practice, and, and uh, my physician's exams. And it's just these sort of very um, traditional rote replies to um, questions as opposed to really thinking about, you know, what's going on. So, so much so that um, I actually uh, went back to finish my physician's exams um, back in Scotland. Uh, and um, one of my cases was somebody with MS. And so by this time, I'd been through the Overcoming MS program. And, and and so what you do in these exams is you get taken around by two specialists and you go and examine patients and you say what's wrong with them and what you do with them. So I examined this patient. They've clearly got multiple sclerosis. Um, and the question's like, you know, what would you do? So you throw off all the usual things or give this drug, that drug. I knew when I did that exam, if I sort of sparked up and said well actually I'm going to put them on a whole food plant based diet get them meditating yeah. correct their vitamin D deficiency I don't mean you know you know and I wanted to sort of sit the guy down and go right <laughs> this is what you need to do but you know that, that you can't and um, yeah. and and um, just I think before we came on air we sort of talked a little bit about this because this now I mean it's just to me it's just and I'm sure it, you know this is the reason why you're doing this is because it's just clear um, that the only way we're going to manage these modern conditions is to address what actually causes them and it has to be front and centre of what we're doing and the problem is is I guess people get very stuck with their paradigms their, their beliefs without questioning them and 
and so I think this and I think it's changing and we've seen that um, with, with how people are changing how they offer these uh, how people present their medical practice that they're offering but you know I've, I've, I'm looking at uh, setting up a new medical center and, and I want to put this uh, front and center of what we're doing but I've already been warned by you know high up you know professors of medicine thing that if you do this there's a high chance you're going to come under scrutiny from from the regulator for offering mm. alternative therapies like diet i mean yeah it's uh, so that's a challenge but you know but, i mean the, the, the other so that sounds a bit negative saying all that and i think that the other thing is isn't it is that basically um, the evidence is that we're right and um <laughs> and we should enjoy the <laughs> enjoy that and every time I thought Neil Barnard spoke very well about this at the Doctors for Nutrition conference, and um, you know he was sort of questioned on this, and he was like, "Look, no, I go and have fun with this. You know, I, I sued the U.S. government and made them change their nutrition guidelines, yeah. and yeah. and now I'm going around every state in America telling them you've got to offer plant-based nutrition in your schools, hospitals, and prisons, and if you don't, we'll sue you." <laughs> <laughs> He's a bit of a rock star doctor, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so you know. And, and maybe, you know, and, and having an attitude of you know, fun with it is, is, yeah. is going to and, 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 and happiness. And, and you know, that's, that's, I guess, how, how things are going to move forward. That's right. Just like leading yeah. positivity <laughs> and joy. And, I mean, it is heartening to see that there is a growing movement for lifestyle medicine within Australia. Um, I'm a fellow of the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. And, like, every year you go to the conference, it's bigger. There's more practitioners there from across the board. Mm. So that's really good. Um, and I think, you know, mainstream medical practitioners are slowly but surely starting to cotton on that it's not just a bunch of hippies. Like, you still mm. are advocating for a appropriate medication as required mm. it's just that you know front and center should be these lifestyle medicine um initiatives yeah absolutely yeah. now just to um so the roy swank study that you say was published in the lancet in 1990 mm. when did uh professor george jelinek do his um i guess study and research and so on uh, how how long did it take to get yeah. to that that phase yeah so um so george uh was was young to become a president of the college of emergency medicine and he uh, edited the emergency medical journal for i think about 15 years and and it was only um i think around his time of diagnosis which i think was around uh 1998 1999 um when he got sick that he actually went back through the evidence base and, and found the paper Wow. And, um, so it was already eight, nine then, years old by then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so George writes about this in the book, and, and so one of the issues was at the time in the Lancet there were anonymous editorials. So basically, you know, medicine's the same as any other profession. There's people out gunning for each other and, and trying to push themselves ahead. And so the, the sort of great strength of Swank's work, this this 30-year study, was also its downfall because... By the time he published in 1990, the burden of proof was that you needed a randomised controlled trial, which was not a reasonable expectation for him because randomised mm -hmm. controlled trials didn't exist when he set the trial up. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, you could compare it, and George does this in the book, that, you know, uh, the, the cure for pernicious anemia was the, you know, chopped liver diet for access to B12. <laughs> um, and, and when that got published with the same type of study, it won the Nobel Prize. So Swank could publish maybe 10 years earlier. Wow. This didn't even be a debate. Yeah. Mm. That's just like a you know, just how, 
how history works out. Now I know why my mum used to make a sliver growing up for B12. <laughs> Damn it, she obviously read the research. Take <laughs> a B12 supplement, you don't need all the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh dear. Um, so let's unpack this diet a little bit and mm. the you know the lifestyle principles. Um, so you mentioned a whole food plant based diet. Um, most of mm. our listeners will be familiar with that, but specifically, let's talk a little bit about um, the saturated fat, I suppose, um, mm. and you know what we should be limiting that to. What foods are you know um, best to be avoided? Because I know even within the plant based realm, there's some foods that maybe you shouldn't be having. A hell of a lot of um so what what's what's a day on your plate look like okay um yeah so i often start off with a, a smoothie so um I've, I've got kids so we sort of uh mix it up with them a bit so what did i have this morning blueberry strawberry uh banana smoothie with some ground sack seed um yeah uh all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've made some veggie burgers at home today, which we had in some uh, uh, some wholemeal rolls, and and I'm afraid to say my wife's cooking tonight. I haven't. Checked. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's just uh, basically yeah, eating plants and avoiding things like so avoid coconut oil, um, mm-hmm. avoid palm oil, uh, avoid um, altered fats. And uh, so uh, I guess I've already said we're, we're avoiding saturated fat so animal fats um anything deep fried uh, stay clear of that um the altered fats is an issue so you know like if you go down the processed food aisle most most products will have um, some palm oil hidden in there and things so it's a bit of a, a thing of getting used to you know or just examining the labels and knowing what you can shop but it's just a, yeah. a, it's a matter of changing uh, habits of, of the food stuff that, that you buy or yeah yeah. So part of the recovery now, you, you reading your sort of bio, you were diagnosed in 2008, but it's not that you got it in 2008. It was just pretty much critical by then. But your recovery was relatively quick. I mean, in my mind, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so basically, I, I sort of, throughout 2008, I just got sicker and sicker. I had a number yeah. of relapses and, um, uh, you know, Basically, so told I could retake retirement for ill health at the age of 32, and um, so then I'd sort of really hit um, well rock bottom. I'd, I'd hit a, a, a low patch anyway, and um, so then George was running programs with Ian Gawler um, in the Yarra Valley um, at the Gawler Foundation, um, and really at that stage, medicine didn't really have anything more to offer me. Um, I was on, you know, partially effective medication, but it was really, well, we'll just see you next time you get sick and bring you in and give you more medications. Um, so I flew out January 2009 and went to one of these programs. And there, there's a few things to say about it. I think one of the most useful things there was being reintroduced actually to the practice of meditation. Um, mm. I think like we all do, I'd got very sort of caught up in the, you know, demands of, of or my perceived demands of life uh, and and the actual very basics of what I needed to address about my own health, my own spirituality um, and, and the basics of being able to actually look after myself had to be sort of relearned. 
and I had to make space for that. And so when you're faced with a, a major illness, you know, you don't need your attention on other issues in your life, any unresolved issues, you know, you, you've got to start paying attention to how you actually live and, and put yourself um, first, I guess. So that was one thing uh, to, to be introduced that, but I have to say one of the things that struck me was just seeing George Jelinek. So I just took one look at him and thought, you look well, you look, you, know, you can see it. You see the bigger in someone's eyes and, and their tone, the way they carry themselves, the energy within them. And I was just sort of struck by the minute I saw him that this man is well and he's been through it. And it did help that he was a professor of emergency medicine who could articulate the science very clearly and 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 explain very clearly why he'd reached the conclusion that following a plant-based diet was the, the key to recovery. Um, so it's just there. Someone was giving you a way out um, of a very difficult situation. Um, so I felt inspired. I could see that it had been done um, and it made sense to me. And so the mind doesn't want to feel crazy. The mm. mind uh, wants to be at peace. And, and so I was now clear that I, I believed in the science behind um, the recovery that, that George had already experienced and that I could apply those uh, apply that to myself and how I lived. I mustn't underestimate the importance of support for this um, around people who care about you. So that's one of the big things, isn't it, um, about how people recover, the feeling of connectedness and relatedness, that you're surrounded by people who understand uh, what they do and who care for you. And I have to say that's been one of the most um, sort of rewarding and, and sort of pleasing things, really. I remember... Um, before I flew out, I'd gone out for uh, dinner with some friends. We'd been at someone's house for a dinner party, actually, and it was all doctors, and they said, we're, we're concerned you're being given false hope by by going to this program. Mm. And um, and I, okay, well, I'll go there, and we'll, 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 we'll meet again, and we'll speak. And so some things came out of that. Um, because these, these were close friends of mine from medical school who, who are now specialists in hospitals throughout the UK and um, and they speak to patients and they speak to their colleagues and they know exactly what's happened to me and they know um, uh, uh, the lessons um, around nutrition and lifestyle uh, that I went through and they've now in, uh, brought to their lives and to their working practices. Um, so... Interestingly, I guess many of the people who, who know what I've been through, they've all adopted plant-based diets. It just makes sense now. Anyone actually reads it. Um, it reminds me of that. There's a, Tim Williams, the uh, previous president of no. the yep. cardiology yep. on this, isn't he? Um, you know, he says, you know, there's, there's two types of cardiologists, you know, <laughs> vegans and those who haven't read the evidence. <laughs> and, 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 and so... And so this, once I think people, uh, particularly people, I guess, who are of a sort of scientific or evidence-based mindset, you know, once you start actually reading the data behind all this, I mean, it's not even up for discussion. And, and the benefits of this is flow through to everyone. So MS is really common in the UK. And so some of these friends of mine, you know, they had relatives who, who, saw, who, who adopted the program and they also recovered. And so those stories then sort of progress and they progress out. 
Um, and so coming back to your original thing about the, the, the recovery. So the first thing was to be given hope. And because if you're not, and, and particularly uh, MS and any, I contest any uh, Western, modern Western condition. And these are, these will all respond to lifestyle change. And to be told otherwise is to be given false, no hope. You know, you can mm-hmm. get better from and um uh but to go from a mindset of like you know you're completely powerless and you know you're just gonna have to sit around waiting to see what happens is, is just wrong and disempowering and dispiriting and so to be come away utterly convinced that you can be well um just totally changes how you feel and so i came away energized um spiritually uh and also physically but as soon as you start changing that way of um, eating, and I know, um, you know <laughs> I'm speaking to the converted here, but you, you just feel it straight away. Your energy levels go up. Um, and so um, I got back to work. So I'd previously qualified as a GP. I got back to work, you know, two days a week. I started exercising again. And then it becomes this virtuous sort of cycle. Like the more you do, the better you feel, so the more you're able to do. And I remember four or five months into it I um my wife's from Holland we went over there and in the town there was a a, a half marathon and I was like oh, I hadn't really trained for it but I'll, I'll go and do it and I just ran the fastest half marathon time I'd ever done <laughs> and uh <laughs> they'd found this course I was like oh, I'm really well <laughs> I can do this now and um and so, yeah, I could, you can just feel it. And then once you start feeling it and it, it just grows, you just want to continue doing it. Yeah. And then people see it and people say, oh, you know, what did you do or what happened? And, and they start looking at it. And, I mean, I've seen it, you know, on, in my family. My, my, um, so my dad won't mind me saying this. He used to be quite forgetful. Like we were sort of a bit concerned that his, his memory was, you know, yeah. deteriorating. Yeah, and and they, uh, they and again this connected thingness, you know. So they saw what happened. They were embracing it, but they and and they're in the best shape of their lives, you know. Now they're, they're you know late seventies, and yet they're you know really active. They feel really well, and uh, and uh, you know they're not burdened with the usual Western conditions that most people of that age seem to be. That you know that I see with their with their their, their friendship uh, their friend group. So. So yeah, it was. It, it took maybe a couple of years for the energy levels to go back. Yeah, it's quite Sorry, remarkable. It's quite remarkable how how quickly that recovery was. You know, considering how long you had been suffering such a, a degenerative sort of you know mm. uh, sort of condition. But you know, when I when when you talk about these, there's um, the seven step recovery program that incorporated connectedness, lifestyle, nutrition, mental balance, etc. There's a lot of similarity to the blue zone areas and you know, that have been studied and in terms of well what makes those people live so much more longer fulfilling lives. And and again it's not pinpointed down to one component. I mean we do go on a lot about what their diet is, but there's all the other components that contribute to it as well in terms of the balance, the overall balance. You know, I was just thinking that, Ben. I was yeah. going to ask Sam, are you planning to turn Ballina into a blue zone? <laughs> people are interested. Yeah, you know, people are interested. Okay. I think. Um, I think uh, even people who you know, because you can't sort of force it on people, can you? But um, I think if you 
well, my experience is that you just sort of present these things that have happened or this information and, and just, you know, there's, there's this thing, you know, you, you could look at this. So, uh, yes, the other week, it's really nice. I had, I've got really, I had a couple of really interested medical students in with me and we had, you know, a, a man in who'd recently just had a heart attack and a couple of stents put in. And so, um, so we, you know, we sort of prescribed the usual medicines, did the, yeah, the usual checkup, and then um, just brought up the idea that you know this is reversible. Has, has anyone spoken to you about this? Does this interest you? Yes, <laughs> yes it does. Um, uh, and um, and yeah, I think if you just allow people that opportunity um, uh, for for these things, they they're very keen to to look at it. It's um, I guess it's how you present it, isn't it? I mean, I, I'd be interested to know how you see that because, I mean, I, I can imagine um, a bit like my experience with the neurologist saying, "Well, you know, there's this diet. Some people thinks it helps, think you know, thinks it helps them, but you know, there's not good evidence for it." That's a very different proposition to going, "You can reverse all of this and be completely well. Go and see this person, and they'll tell you, you know, how you can help yourself, how you feed yourself." I mean, Emma, how do you see that? Yeah, yeah. And like I I work in cattle country, so it's always a bit of a challenge to actually bring this up with um my clients. But I yeah, it's it's a mixed bag. Sometimes you'll get a lot of resistance and it is how you phrase it. Um but all you can do really is plant that seed. Whether they take it on board at that point in time or not, plant the seed and then, you know, something else will come along that may water it. I've been really surprised who actually takes this on board and who doesn't and oftentimes you know I'll bring it up with someone and then a year later they'll come back to me and you know I thought I wouldn't have had any chance in hell of <laughs> getting them to eat you know even a legume uh, let alone mm. go plant-based and they're on that journey and they're feeling better and they've got more energy and they've told all their friends about it so they're getting interested as well so yeah it, it is a bit of a challenge sometimes but you you, you have to let them know that there is this possibility Otherwise, in my mind, you're not you're not being evidence based with them if you're not having that conversation with them. Hmm. I think you mentioned you mentioned earlier is that unfortunately it takes to be at an extreme level for you to finally be open to trying new approaches, doesn't it? I mean, you know, you what you you were in 2008, 2009 when you 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 went on this program, hmm. but what if that information was presented to you or this opportunity was presented to you in say five years prior? You know, you weren't at the the worst state, but mm. hey, you're heading that way. What you're eating, what you're consuming, your lifestyle mm. is is not conducive to good health in the long term. Change it now. Would you have been open to that? You know, that's. I think it depends how people phrase it um, and how it's presented to people, isn't it? Where they see their risk and what their concerns are. Um, so, so I do. Okay, I'd be really interested to know how you guys do this because I'm sure you do it much more effectively. Because <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll sort of maybe you know look at someone's waist circumference or something and say, well, you know, this is this is you're a high risk of all these issues now, or ask them if they've got any health concerns. Um, I, you know, and and try and sort of just open open that conversation up. Um, I think um, I think if people perceive the risk as real. And they yeah. have an understanding of the seriousness of, of mm. what they may be up against, then 
then it would trigger a change. But I think um, often we sort of downplay that, or, or you know, and there's a lot of influences that come into play with that, aren't there? Yeah, I, yeah, think people I, I just will, find uh, people yeah. people tend to be more reactive than proactive, and I think that's just a general a general thing in life. You know, you, you, if you're going to tell someone, you know, you're going to look at their home and say, "Look, your gutters are not attached in the best mm-hmm. way." I think let's replace those screws so that when a big storm happens, they'll stay securely. Nah, I'll wait till you know. People are not going to be proactive about things, including their health. Why? Mm. I feel fine. You know, I'm 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 okay. What's wrong with me? You're saying what I'm doing is is not good for long term, but I I am fine until mm. until a heart attack is suffered, or until there's 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 a stroke, or until there's loss of memory, or until there's you know diagnosed with diabetes. You know, whatever the mm. case is. So yeah, you're right. It's how how do you get on the front foot? Um, I yeah, hey, present that I, I, again at that doctor's nutrition conference. I really enjoyed. They put a slide up of you know uh, something said oh, yeah, discussing the the risks of a you know plant based diet for pregnancy. It was actually well, what are the risks of con- with the diet you're following in your pregnancy? Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> and sort of presenting presenting that just presenting the information differently. Um, but that means that the, the health professionals people are in contact with and as a society, you know, um, how, how honest we are about, you know, the risks of, of what we do. And as we all know, there's there's a lot of money and, and influences that are brought to bear to sort of cloud that message, unfortunately. That's what it comes down to, politics and, and economics. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, he, I guess, you know, the internet's not been great in lots of ways, but one of the things that has been great is that this information now just gets so widely circulated that, you know, it's out there. And, and you know, generally the truth, you know, sticks and yep. the other stuff falls away. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's got to be the, the, the thing that we sort of hold on to that, you know, um, just like Neil Barnard says, you know, the, the, the facts around this and this are, is, is, are just too strong for it to just disappear. It's not, it's going to just keep, you know, finding its way there and finding its way into the consciousness of people and how, how we, um, um, uh, yeah, how, how we bring that into our lives. So I, I, I feel really optimistic about how things are going to be with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's already been that change. I mean, compared to 2008, the information that was available, like readily available compared mm. to now, it's just, you know, Light, like day and night. And the amount of studies that are coming out as well and more readily yeah. available. Yeah. So we've touched on diet. We've touched on, you know, the importance of exercise, stress management, um, your vitamin D. Um, mm. Have we talked about omega-3 yet? Should we talk about that? Yeah, yeah, we can do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just very quickly before we move on from this. Um, so why is omega-3 so important for people with MS? Yeah, so we said that MS was a, a, an autoimmune and an inflammatory condition, and um, so uh, so we'd hope that. And so, so there's fats which will drive inflammation, so like omega six fats and, and trans fats and saturated fats, and omega threes will dampen down that inflammation. And so the ratio of you know omega six to omega threes, two to one, we should be hoping for one to one even, but. In most Western countries, we're up at sort of at least 25, even 50 to one. So we're in this very inflammatory state, and we're trying to change that balance. And so, one thing we can do is um, to reduce the amount of 
inflammatory fats in our diet. But the other thing we can do is increase the um, amount of anti-inflammatory uh, fats that we have in diet in our diet. So omega threes will do that. So they're anti-inflammatory, they're resistant to degeneration, and that's their physical properties. You know, these these things are liquid at room temperature. They're they're pliable and, and they're meant to work at, <laughs> in, in the human body. You know, whereas you look at the trans fats that keep the food solid on the shelves for 50 years, you know, not mm. a good idea to be putting that in your body. Mm. Yeah. So hence the inclusion of, of um, ground flaxseed so, in your smoothie to, to, to get some, yeah. some good um, omega-3s. And conversely, the exclusion of the processed, uh, well, all oils are processed really, but um, yeah. the, the, the oils is what is what yeah. boosts that, that um, ratio of that omega-6 yeah. uh, and makes yeah. it incredibly out, out of balance yeah. and, and increases the, the, the inflammatory. Yeah. Um, responses of the body. Mm. Now, um, Sam, you you mentioned to me a little earlier. I think it was in an email that uh, you recently completed a master's in sports science, uh, sports medicine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. T- tell us so, a little bit about that. Is that going back to uh, that half marathon you you ran and, yeah, and thought, well, hang on, well, that, that and, that and <laughs> kickboxing, and so yeah, no, I like my soccer and I like my kickboxing, and um, and so um Yes, yes, yes. When I was younger, I used to do quite a bit of kickboxing, and uh, that um, sounds like good so stress got, management. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And um, so, yeah, that got quite interesting. So I thought, just uh, so there were a few things with the sports bits, and I was involved in a, a few uh, sort of professional soccer clubs, and um, and then it all just sort of started to tie in because uh, then I got to choose what my uh, sort of project would be on, and so I looked at nutritional uh, interventions for elite athletes, and. You know, it's the same stuff. Right? It's game changers, isn't it? It's the same stuff that comes up again and again. You know, and 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 that's a sort of really empowering thing. You know, when you because obviously you know, when when they do the studies on these food stuff and they really start sort of breaking it down, which you know isn't always completely helpful to have a reductionist approach to it. But you know, it's interesting. So, like the big example is. Um, like with the beetroot juicing, isn't it? Well, mm. it is if you follow soccer. And so when Leicester City won the league, the, the English Premier League, and they were 5,000 to one outsiders and they had all their players on beetroot juice and it was making them run faster. Because of the nitrate know, content, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then, then they'd have like quicker reaction times after sort of 90 minutes of high-intensity, uh, tr- you know, um, activity. Mm. And so it's really uh, interesting just to really start looking at the benefits of, um, you know, plant-based diet for athletes. And um, so I'd, I've got a good friend who's a professional K1 kickboxer. And uh, uh, again, just having the discussion around then, if you sort of talk about, well, you know, there's going to be better oxygen delivery, better recovery after after training and after competition, you know, people do is prick up. They want to <laughs> they want to know what they can do to sort of be ahead of everyone else. And so it was a nice um, sort of. Uh, way to just introduce this to, to every area of, uh, of my practice, really. Um, yeah. Uh, and again, um, you know, you, you bring this around uh, when you sort of have discussions around people saying, well, they're healthy. Well, you know, I didn't know this. Did you, did you know, uh, so, so like athletes are more prone to like heart disease and, um, uh, and so then obviously then you bring up the fact that, well, you know, if you eat a whole food plant-based diet, you can reverse all of these issues. And and um, so, yeah, no, it's just been, a, yeah, just a nice thing that ties in together. And the fact that this is just, you know, what's good for the human body in different states is, is the same. We're not asking people to sort of do one thing for one set of circumstances. It's like, no, these are, these are 
the actions around you know good nutrition meditation will, will benefit us all and and yeah, i guess that's been known to some people for a long time but you know yeah. for a doctor like me i had to relearn all this stuff again <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> no it's all about longevity and and you know especially in sport the the approach i, I take with with a lot of people is that well, you know, you've got all these goals, you want to run marathons, play sports games, matches, whatever, but why stop in five years when you can't anymore? Why not give yourself longevity in, into that hobby? Because for most people, we're not professional athletes, it's part of your lifestyle. So it's about longevity. It's about reducing the, the um, I guess, the risks of, of mortality. That's the extreme, obviously, but injuries and so on but improving recovery improving your health uh improving your ability to move and function and being able to enjoy it for longer too absolutely so yeah absolutely i think that's 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 the key with a plant-based or whole food plant-based approach to sport it's not just about the short-term goals it's actually more about the long-term goals um and yeah. i think that that's where there's a lot of benefit for the the the, the more general public partaking in an yeah. active lifestyle yeah yeah, I should say that. I mean, the other thing that I found really interesting, just as I was, I was studying more of the exercise stuff, was just, I, I, I guess I probably hadn't appreciated how um, exercise transforms your body, and you probably, that's inherent for you in, in, in your experience. But so, for example, like in MS, you know, so everyone's, generally the, the paradigm is that as you get older, your brain shrinks and there's, you know, degeneration, and, um, and in MS that happens about five times faster than, than everybody else. So then they did this neat little study where they got people doing resistance training just twice a week. Mm. And then they started getting bigger. So completely uh, clear evidence that you can regenerate your brain simply through exercise. You know, and yeah. they're saying that so resistance training for increasing the size of the brain and then aerobic training for increasing the size of the hippocampus. So, you know, it's involved mm. in your memory. Um, so this sort of just throws into... Uh, it just throws it out there that you've, you've got this ability to regenerate your body if you're and, and given the right instructions you know you can manipulate things so that you can not just stabilize things but that you can be be new you can create a new body i mean that's 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 mm. a yeah. really important yeah. i think you have to cross to people and i think you know this is well understood by the really uh you know sort of leaders in the field isn't it i mean that's why we've now got dean ornish starting a study to show that you can reverse um early stage alzheimer's he's not doing that study because he thinks he's going to get a negative result yeah yep and i um, mean looking at his studies previously even with the prostate cancer you know these mm -hmm. these things lifestyle medicine it matters it really matters so yeah it should be talked about a hell of a lot more in consults mm. yeah and so I think, um, and I, I spoke about this, um, and I guess that's sort of where I hope uh, I'll take things. I, I, there's a, a chef local to me, um, you might have heard of him, Adam Guthrie. Yes, like, yeah. He had his heart, heart attack in his 30s, and now he's an Ironman athlete, and he, he, he's, you know, fantastic at getting the message out there. And I've been to see him speak at uh, one of the events that he puts on. Um, and the conversation we had was, you know, we'd love to be able to create the medical centre that we wish had existed when we got sick, so that when you come in, you have doctors who really understand the importance of uh, lifestyle and nutrition, that you have, you know, psychologists there who can help you, um, you know, deal with whatever issues you have, so that the focus can be on on being well and and and, and living well in all ways. Um, 
and that you'd have access to um, you know uh, knowledgeable dietitians, knowledgeable exercise physiologists, because all of this knowledge is out there now. This isn't like you said; it's not. Um, it's not that this stuff isn't known, but I think it's about making it accessible so that mm. people become empowered and they're able to take control of the issues themselves. People do want that power. Yeah. They just need. To, and and I think if you and again, it comes a, a, a bit back um, like the comment from my neurologist. Like if you phrase something. Uh, in a way that you know, oh, it might, you know, there's there's no evidence that this will help. To actually, you can completely transform your body and your life, and and be completely well and have a completely different future than the one you're fearing. People respond to that message, and I think that's that's what we have to get out there. Yeah. yeah. That's such a positive message of hope to kind of wrap this all up on, I think. Um, but I just wanted to, before we finish off, um, I know that it was planned to have an overcoming MS retreat at the Gawler Institute um, later yeah. on in the year. But with all this COVID craziness, is that still going ahead? Can people still come and see you there or what's the go there? Good question. Um I'm not sure is the answer. I've just emailed uh, Barry, the CEO uh, there. Um, so the numbers are dropping in Melbourne. Um, mm-hmm. But as yet, um, I haven't received a reply back. Um, yeah, so sorry, I can't be... Uh, That's uh, okay, no worries. Where where can people reach you? Where's the be- best way to check yeah. in and see? Um, yeah, so I've also, <laughs> if they're in Ballina, I'm working at the clinic in East Ballina um, and the MS information uh, either through the uh, overcomingms.org website or uh, the Gawler Foundation would be the places to go. And you've got mm-hmm. a personal website as well, which I really love that little uh, canoe shot yeah, uh, great, into into the sunset, sunrise. I don't know yeah. which direction you're heading. So I'm going to get that built up and um, I'm hoping that will become a good resource for people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sam, it's uh, it's been an absolute delight having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your uh, personal journey. And uh, it's been really enlightening. And, and again, just once again, reinforcing the, the importance of lifestyle in general. So nutrition, absolutely a massive role. But, you know, just through your own personal experience, it goes to show that there's there's a whole lot of other elements that, that goes into, you know, good exposure to sunshine, exercise, connectedness, sleep, all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it's been a really important um, message that you've shared and, and the remarkable recovery is, is testament to that. Um, and really exciting with what you have planned for, or not necessarily planned, but looking to do in the future. So, you know, we, we certainly hope to, to keep in touch. I know we will. And um, again, thank you so much for sharing the story and coming onto the show. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me and thank you for doing this. It's fantastic. Thank you for listening to the Lentil Intervention Podcast. If you found this interesting, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends. 